Welcome to KRNU, A Retrospective. In this series, we will unpack the last 50 years of Lincoln's new music alternative. In the six-part series, we will hear from the faculty, staff, and students that have left their mark and helped keep KRNU running. This is episode three, The Alternative Alternative. KRNU began to evolve into the station that it is today in the 1990s. The station switched formats and played alternative and indie music, and the station started to grow, introducing one of the most well-loved aspects of KRNU today, specialty shows. General Manager Rick Alloway talks about the rise in popularity of this kind of programming. Well, once we switched the format, we really started focusing more on the independent shows, the specialty shows. And in late 19, it was actually started in 88, we started a show, one of our music directors started a show called Heresy, which would go on to be our longest running specialty show. It stayed on the air for close to 20 years with various different hosts as people came and went through graduation. But that was started the start of the ascendance of, of more specialty programming on the station. And Heresy was a loud rock show. And uh, that gave rise to other specialty programs and rap and hip hop and world music. Um, we had specialty shows in Broadway, specialty shows in alternative country. Uh, that was really fun. And as one of our students called it, uh, it was Ya Alternative uh, for alt rock and alt country. But a variety of uh, different specialty shows began to fill up the times when we did not have Broadcasting 227 students on the air doing their regular shifts. Listeners could hear shows about any type of music. Joseph Krings, music director from 1994 to 1998, hosted two shows, both with very different themes. But I did have a specialty show as well. A couple of them, actually. The, the long-running one was called Words, and it was ostensibly to specialize in spoken word. So I would play anything that sort of fell under the large umbrella of spoken word, whether it was, you know, just somebody reading poems or it was music that had more of a recited part as opposed to singing. Um, and then we used that to sort of set us up for what we called sludge mixing. And um, that basically meant that I would bring a bunch of friends in who weren't even in the college and uh, we would just all get on different pots, you know, like uh, there was different rooms where you could, where, where there was like computers where you could be playing samples and such, and also be playing like maybe cassettes or records, and they would all feed into the main board, and then I would mix the whole thing, and we would make these really dense culture jams, sort of, inspired by Negative Land, this group that would do it on the radio like that in Berkeley, California. KRNU began to define itself by the types of music played and the specialty shows offered. I'd say it was really representative of college radio at that time. You know, each station in each part of the country had its own peculiarities or its own, you know, tastes that would sort of uh, come to the forefront that might not in other parts of the country. You know, one thing we always did was make sure we played a lot of local music. And the local music scene at that time was, I think, very, very strong. And so... You know, that was something that Karen, you had that, you know, no other station had. They didn't have those Nebraska bands right when they were just first getting started. MTV and the emerging Internet connected music fans and artists from all over the world. New bands and scenes exploded overnight as digital music shortened the timeline to fame. In the United States, Nashville artists like Shania Twain were nestled next to rock staples like U2 on the pop charts. Alternative music would become the calling card of the 1990s. 
Alternative music was originally a genre in defiance of the mainstream, an alternative to the pop and hair metal of the 1980s. Grunge and other alternative subgenres explored muddy, distorted guitars, introspective lyrics, and championed the underdogs. Most alternative bands started on indie, or independent, labels. Major labels didn't sign any bands whose sound wasn't proven popular or profitable. Bands like Nirvana got their start on the indie label Sub Pop. DC's Discord Records rocked hardcore bands like Fugazi. Matador Records had Pavement and Liz Fair. And Merge Records boasted bands like Neutral, Milk Hotel, and Austin-based Spoon. Alternative bands were largely on independent labels in the late 80s and early 90s, but the Seattle grunge scene changed everything. Grunge and Seattle bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Mudhoney, and Pearl Jam swept the U.S., making what was once counter to mainstream, mainstream. As alternative bands topped the charts, record companies signed more similar-sounding bands, flooding the market with alternative music, movies, and fashion trends. The irony of alternative being mainstream wasn't lost on the scene and caused splintering into counterculture subsets like Riot Girl and Lo-Fi. Alternative bands like Green Day and Nirvana were skyrocketing in popularity. The number one song of the decade would be Nirvana's Smelled Like Teen Spirit. With the death of Nirvana's Kurt Cobain in 1994, the alt-rock genre changed. With grunge effectively over, many alternative bands moved into post-grunge sounds with cleaner, often shinier production. The lo-fi scene offered respite to punk, rap, and avant-garde groups who rejected glossier late 90s rock trends. The 90s would also usher in the golden age of hip-hop. Tupac Shakur, The Notorious B.I.G., Snoop Dogg, and Dr. Dre brought rap music to the masses. Rap and hip-hop scenes from Brooklyn, Atlanta, the Bay Area, Houston, Miami, and Seattle were thrust into the spotlight on Yo! MTV Raps and the newly formed hip-hop and R&B formatted radio stations. One-hit wonders like Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back and MC Hammer's Can't Touch This became pop radio staples. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Neil Obermeyer, music director and grad assistant from the latter half of the decade, created a show based on his love for electronic music. I've always appreciated the, the world of electronic music. And so I started this show called You Are So Beautiful, Beautiful Robot. The, the title didn't really allude to anything. It just popped in my head one day. I was like, yep, that's the title I'm using. It just, it just came to me and it's meaningless. But the premise of the show, being that everything was electronic music, the premise was music by robots for robots. And so I never spoke on the air on that show. I used my MacBook's text-to-speech converter, and that was the voice of the robot DJ. So I ran the whole show off, off my MacBook, just in iTunes, doing the crossfade there, and then typing up what the robot was going to say, and then hitting the, uh, like, the speak menu item and so then the robots talking then through the break that was always kind of a, a a hit or miss exercise because sometimes sometimes it was largely unintelligible but uh and the the awkward pronunciations definitely popped up especially when you're trying to when you're trying to 
tell the the Mac text to speech converter how to like pronounce something like Depeche Mode. Like it's just not going to come out right. But that was part of the charm of the show is just the uh, the awkwardness of the DJ, and that kind of contributed to what ended up being like like kind of the humor of the show. Like his his sort of failures of being a DJ is sort of anti-human sentiment and this music by robots for robots theme and that show was a lot of fun to do krnu was still playing music off of cds switching discs between each song alloway talks about the problems that caused in one word it was live and if somebody didn't show up for a shift it was me i got to go in and be dj for an hour or two prior to my arrival it was usually uh, peter mayu was the guy that usually had to go in and fill in he was the program director in those days uh, with no automation, if uh, the station, if somebody didn't show up for a shift, they had a work conflict or couldn't get their car to start or just blew it off, we had to go cover that time somehow. And that was very time consuming because you really couldn't do anything else when you were trying to do your air shift. It was, uh, you, had to, you had to devote full attention to it. Obermeyer said there was an attempt at a makeshift automation system. There was a time when some some of my fellow KRNU staff members and I had decided we wanted to experiment with trying to do what we called poor man's automation. This was before we had any official automation system. And so we'd rigged up Winamp, which was an old MP3 player on the newsroom computer. And we decided that we were going to try to keep the station on overnight and, and see if we could pull off this experiment just using MP3s of songs in the studio and the newsroom computer. Just out of really unfortunate luck, the night we happened to do this was the night that the custodial staff was re-waxing the, the floors in the, the KRNU wing of Avery Hall. And uh, because of that, these floors could not be stepped on for, for like eight hours. This was a very reasonable project for them to undertake because there was never anyone in KRNU overnight. Unfortunately, because we chose that night, we were we were all stuck in the studio, couldn't leave to go to the bathroom or anything because because that was the night that the floors were being rewaxed and uh, just a just a really unfortunate time to to attempt that experiment. KRNU became a place where the people who were interested in alternative and indie music could go to hear more of that sound. Alloway talks about the live shows KRNU would put on. The indie format really had taken hold by that time. We started having some hosting some concerts and some dates at some of the local clubs that um, were hosted by the club itself, but were populated by Lincoln bands because one of our decisions at that time was to try to focus on Lincoln music whenever we could as well, or local area music, not just Lincoln. Krings goes into the details on the groups that were featured in some of these shows. Yeah, I mean, at that time, it was bands like Bright Eyes and Cursive and the faint and the Saddle Creek scene that really kind of, you know, were just starting at that time. I mean, I think the first time I saw Connor Ober's play was 13. Um, so that was all just getting going while I was at Karen U and we would promote and play those bands a lot. And they would play in Lincoln. We would promote their shows when they would play in Lincoln. As the 1990s wore on, KRNU went from playing alternative music to offering an alternative to the alternative. Many of those late 80s, early 90s alternative groups who started on indie labels jumped to major labels in the mid-90s, so indie labels found new scenes and new sounds. 
as mainstream alternative stations played post-grunge bands like Creed, Nickelback, Bush, Live, and Matchbox 20, KRNU stayed true to its indie roots and played offerings from Superchunk, Sonic Youth, Bell and Sebastian, and Slater Kinney. KRNU was still housed in Avery Hall in the late 90s, but it would soon move across campus to Anderson Hall. Alloway talks about the move. We were rapidly outgrowing the facility, and in the uh, late 1990s, plans were being drawn up to move somewhere. We weren't sure where. But what helped was that the Security Mutual Life Insurance Company had decided to vacate their building on the Capitol Mall between P and Q Street off 16th. And the University Foundation bought that building and through generous fundraising by a lot of alums and a very generous donation from Harold and Marion Anderson, who had been the publishers of the Omaha World Herald, we were able to uh, raise the funds to renovate the Security Mutual building and make it Anderson Hall. In the next episode, KRNU enters the 21st century.